Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We look ahead to another busy week, a week that will see the calendar turn to April. Lots going on today. We'll check the weather around the country with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. As, uh, wow, that calendar starts turning April, we think more and more about uh, getting to the fields. We'll find out what the forecast holds. We're also going to take a look at the priorities in 2021 for the fertilizer industry. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute on today's program. And we have a hogs and pigs report to review and look ahead to what may be coming down the line for packing plants, uh, more covid precautions taken could that slow things down we will talk with steve meyer economist for partners for production agriculture on that a little bit later on but we're happy to start things off with sarah wyant editor and president of agripulse communications after a very successful summit last week sarah good to talk with you you had some heavy hitters some big names uh headlining your uh, speaker list last week what were some of your takeaways from what you heard well, good morning, Mike, and yes, we had a really big week over three half days of programming with Secretary Vilsack and EPA Administrator uh, Michael Regan, uh, the heads, the chair, and the ranking members of both the House and Senate Ag Committees, and, and a lot of other great experts in between, talking about some of the things that are happening on climate policy. And I think it, one of the take-homes for me, Mike, is that there is a lot of work already happening in this area from the CEO of Nutrien who talked to us about the program that they've already developed and then you've got folks like Trutera and Cargill. Uh, a lot of folks are, are creating markets or at least programs where they want to have uh, markets to pay farmers for sequestering more carbon. Farmers and foresters, I should say, because forestry is a big part of this too. But there is also so much we don't know about measurement, uh, about how things will work in one sector of agriculture where it may be drier land and different soils. And then, of course, the livestock sector is a very important part of this. So there's a, a lot of different things that have to happen in terms of getting the science right and also the need for technical assistance so that if farmers do want to participate in these programs that they have that help of trying to decide what the guardrails really are in some of these programs and who's going to own the data that's required to verify some of these efforts. So uh, a really great discussion on so many fronts. You can tell when something's the, the hot topic or the buzzword, when you see commercials on TV now, all these companies saying, we're reducing our carbon footprint. That, that's kind of the, the big thing right now, isn't it? Well, it really is. And as part of that, they need agriculture and forestry to help provide the offsets for so many of them. 
I mean, we're talking about major airlines. We're talking about FedEx. We're talking about, you know, large uh, auto manufacturers uh, because we know they're not going to get to electric vehicles anytime soon. So, I mean, there are all sorts of really big players, industrial players that will be reaching out to some of these carbon um, credit aggregators and trying to see if agriculture can play a role. I thought a key statement by Secretary Vilsack was when he said, you know, these markets uh, aren't really geared for agriculture yet. We gotta, we've got some work to do to, for agriculture to really realize the uh, potential of this. Absolutely. You know, he said, and then this really puts it in perspective, out of about 134 million outstanding carbon credits, only 2.5 million are based in agriculture. So we're a very small piece of that pie. But, you know, a lot of this, Mike, is about agriculture leaning in, I think, as they have never before because they think there might be some potential new revenue streams and also understanding that if agriculture is not at the table participating in these dialogues, they're likely to be that proverbial, you know, (laughs) thing that's on the menu and uh, so better to see what's happening now and figure out how agriculture can be a positive part of this rather than be regulated in a way that could be more costly and more harmful. Meanwhile, we wait to see what his first big decision will be at EPA, but new administrator Michael Regan certainly uh, uh, got the biofuels industry's attention with what looks to be some welcome, some much uh, uh, welcomed remarks when he said he sees biofuels playing a part in this and agriculture being a, a part of this uh, move towards uh, new climate policy and climate goals. And I think that has many in the biofuels industry very optimistic. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's been interesting for me so far is that his outreach has been incredible. He's uh, known for having an open-door policy when he was a North Carolina head of the Department of Environmental Quality, but now at EPA, he's already um, done an interview with him. He wanted to make a big point about talking at our summit, Um, and we did ask him, you know, everybody's talking about electric vehicles, but what about biofuels? And he made it very, very clear that he thinks that especially advanced biofuels, which uh, folks can argue that corn is part of that, um, that they're going to play a very big role. And even though his uh, agency did uh, postpone some of the decisions that some folks had expected them to make here in the near, near term on uh, RVOs, uh, he did say that uh, you know biofuels are going to be a big part of what he's looking at. So I, I do hope that's a positive sign. It would certainly be great for all of our ethanol industry folks that have a little bit of positive news for a change. <laughs> Yeah, words have been encouraging, but we're waiting for the actions. And finally, what are you hearing on now this proposal for another huge spending bill, this one for infrastructure and some uh, kind of interesting uh, and perhaps controversial uh, ways of paying for it, such as mileage taxes and things like that that are being proposed? Yeah, so we're all going to be watching for Wednesday when President Biden goes to Pittsburgh and and is supposed to announce at least the first big part of his infrastructure package. A couple of observations, Mike. One is that 
if it was just infrastructure, if it was broadband and roads and bridges and mm-hmm. uh, things that were really focused on building and creating jobs, I think he could come out with something that's got very bipartisan support. But the pay-fors, as you mentioned, whether it's a vehicle tax or uh, higher taxes on the wealthy or changes in stepped-up bases or whatever gets in there, that's where a lot of the controversy is going to come, as well as you know, what else is in this in terms of climate policy? I, I would certainly would expect that there'll be some climate provisions in this as well, and uh, whatever else gets thrown in when you've got a massive package moving, you know, a lot of folks want to make sure that they can get all their wish list in as much as they can. So I think it, it, in most large packages like this, the devil's going to be in the details if you figure out what he's really proposing. For sure. Sarah, always good to talk with you again. Congratulations on a great summit last week. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we look at the uh, weather as we wrap up March and head to April. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. 
fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And let's talk weather with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I'm thinking back, I think for much of the country, March came in like a lamb, so we were kind of wondering if it would go out like a lion. In some places you could say it has, like Nashville and some areas like that. But overall, what do you see as we wrap up this month of March this week? There's a lot of roaring right now going on, Mike, uh, because the winds are picking up over much of the plains in the western Midwest. In fact, um, you could uh, look at uh, conditions from the Rockies all the way to the uh, Great Lakes, and um, you're likely to see either a high wind warning or a red flag wildfire warning all the way from uh, from around Kalispell, Montana, south to, uh, I would say, Lubbock, Texas, and uh, then northeast toward uh, Rockford, Illinois, and then uh, back to the uh, Canadian border around International Falls. So, boy, it is a real windy day going on. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, going to obviously allow the ground to dry out, but then it uh, maybe is taking away a little bit of the benefit uh, that some of those uh, wheat areas had uh, from all the rainfall during the past uh, couple weeks. But uh, elsewhere, in kind of a, a drier trend today, outside of uh, more drought in the northern plains, in the mid-south, uh, that drier pattern is certainly welcome after the heavy rains that uh, part of that region got during the past weekend. Certainly the last uh, week or so has helped change the uh, drought monitor map uh, that we keep an eye on, but there are still some areas, we've talked a lot about this, the, the Dakotas, parts of Minnesota, that area still uh, still needs precipitation. Well, it, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, North Dakota had the uh, third driest winter on record uh, this past winter, December, January, February, in the weather records. And then the uh, six-month stretch from September through uh, February was uh, the driest on record. September, October, yeah, that's right, six-month period. Uh, the driest on record uh, going back, I believe, to the early 1890s. Uh, so it has been just a, uh, a uh, precipitation-less uh, situation. And then uh, from about Bismarck, uh, North Dakota, west, uh, you're looking now at uh, extreme drought, uh, drought level three on the drought monitor, and then all of that runs north into the Canadian prairies. Uh, to be honest, I don't see anything coming up that's going to change that very much. We're getting a little bit of snow, some uh, light rain showers in central and western Montana today, but that, none of that is really uh, reaching uh, into North Dakota. 
So, uh, yes, those, uh, nor- those northern areas are certainly, uh, you know, kind of running, running out of time, frankly, to get some uh, precip back into the soil profile. And we know that spring wheat planting is going on. They're planting into dry ground and kind of hoping for the best at this point. What about temperatures this week ahead? You know, uh, the uh, temperature pattern, obviously, with those drier conditions in the northern areas, uh, you get some uh, southwest winds going on. That's going to really heat things up. And indeed, all the way from uh, northern Minnesota, all the way west to the Pacific coast, uh, you're looking at uh, above to much above normal values. Um, in the southern plains, uh, Texas could see a little bit of below normal uh, temperature trend, and then kind of uh, elsewhere through much of the Midwest and then the Delta, Mid-South, uh, the uh, pattern is going to be mainly seasonal, but still uh, quite mild. And uh, uh, the one thing that uh, that I do not see is a push of a real sharp cold front, you know, that's going to go uh, deep into the central part of the country and uh, cause some uh, you know, some uh, April freeze conditions or anything like that, Mike, that doesn't appear to be a part of things over the next uh, week to two weeks right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you, let's look into April as we really start thinking for many farmers about getting to the fields. Yeah, and uh, the month of April is looking basically uh, warm and dry uh, when you look at uh, how the pattern is acting, uh, particularly in the uh, north-central part of the country, temperatures could be as much as 4 degrees above normal on average. Uh, and that is a significant uh, departure from normal. Uh, elsewhere, pretty much uh, 1 to 2 degrees above average uh, for those uh, temperatures. And uh, the moisture is going to be pretty hard to come by because uh, April is looking quite dry, uh, below normal, just about everywhere except for maybe a little pocket of activity uh, for a change in the southeastern plains. Uh, Much of eastern Texas, then toward, you know, the Ozark uh, Plateau there in Arkansas and uh, Missouri could have above normal precipitation, but over much of the uh, northern and central plains, the Midwest, through the southeast, it really is looking pretty dry during the month of April. So that shows how things have changed, because remember back late winter, you were thinking uh, it might not be an early start to uh, field work and planting time, but obviously things have moved and changed a bit. Yeah, they have. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Uh, The uh, La Nina pattern has kind of uh, neutralized a little bit for the time being, and uh, we have seen a predominance of the uh, above normal temperatures uh, set up. Uh, that, uh, That mild pattern is pretty much running through May, Uh, The uh, precipitation in May may pick up a little bit more over the north-central part of the country in the plains and then through much of the Midwest. I think that that would be very timely. I still think, Mike, that uh, we're going to see more of a pattern of drier west and wetter east when you uh, look across uh, the Corn Belt uh, that we've talked about a few times. And I I think that still is uh, quite likely uh, where the Mississippi Valley or maybe just a little bit farther west would be the western uh, extremity of uh, the heavier precipitation when we get farther into the spring season. All right, let's uh, get an update on South America. What's happening there? 
Well, really not much uh, in terms of uh, Brazil rainfall. And for the uh, second crop corn there, that's unfavorable. Uh, they had hardly any rain during the past weekend in Mato Grosso and Paraná. And uh, this week, they're not looking at very much. I mean, well under an inch of total rainfall. So this uh, safrina, second crop corn soil moisture situation, is not getting any better in Brazil. Argentina will have uh, pretty dry conditions also. Now, they're getting into the harvest season in Argentina, and the drier conditions would actually be fairly useful, uh, obviously, for uh, getting harvest going. It still is maybe a little bit unfavorable for later filling row crops, but as far as uh, bringing in uh, harvest, uh, they should have pretty good weather for that. And finally, back here in the United States, uh, springtime, we think about severe weather challenges. We've already seen some severe weather in parts of the country, especially in the south, southeast. Uh, does this shape up then as a, maybe a more active uh, storm springtime than we usually see, or can we tell yet? I think we could have uh, an above-average uh, occurrence of uh, severe weather developments. And, uh, you know, obviously the season got a pretty robust uh, start with uh, some of the tornado activity that we've seen already, particularly in Alabama last week. But, uh, you know, I look at uh, this uh, indication of where the drier and wetter conditions are going to be uh, for the month of April, and I see a very prone area for severe storms in the southeastern plains and then kind of edging toward that mid-south area, boy, that's uh, just a real prime location for uh, some some uh, terrific air mass interaction between warmer air out of the Gulf, more humid, drier conditions from the western high plains, and then very dry uh, coming off of uh, the southwest Mexican deserts. So uh, that, that pretty well sets the stage right there for what could be a, a, a very uh, active uh, severe weather occurrence at any given time. Seems like we got started on that earlier this year, did we? Well, um, there, there was uh, that occurrence, although, you know, frankly, you get into uh, the, the late winter, early spring period, uh, that can be a, a good time for some of this uh, action to get underway, particularly in, in the Mid-South and in the Southeast. And so uh, that uh, seasonally, I think, is, is pretty much in store, but uh, there's no doubt that uh, there's been some uh, terrific damage done already. Yep, always be alert and aware of the those changing weather conditions. Bryce, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you. You're welcome, Mike. DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we are going to talk with the President and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. What are the priorities for the fertilizer industry in 2021? And what are we looking about looking at as far as how that industry is going to handle this push for new climate policy and climate programs? We'll talk about that next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. 
Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Farming has gotten so complex, you need another you just to keep up with it all. You'll come close when you work with your FS Crop Specialist. They know your growing conditions and your land, working for you season to season, helping fine-tune decisions to ensure a healthy ROI. And they're constantly in training to learn about the latest in seed selection, crop protection, and nutrient management. Plus, they're achieving certification standards that exceed the industry. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more. FS, bringing you what's next. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. There was a lot of action in the crop markets on Thursday, but when the dust settled, corn, beans, and even meal and oil were being drawn like a magnet towards the green line 20-day moving average. Traders are temporarily comfortable with the balance between supply and demand. It is possible that the USDA will give us numbers next week that will change people's ideas about the balance between supply and demand, but a large component of the world grain and oilseed supply is in the U.S. crop and we are just getting started with planting. The grain and oilseed sector is trading a bit mixed here on this Friday. The May corn contract trading two cents higher at 5.48 and a half cent. The July contract up two cents at 5.34 and a half cent. For soybeans, the May contract trading a penny and a fraction lower at 14.13 and a fraction. The July contract down three quarters at 14.03 and three quarters. For wheats, the Chicago wheat May contract trading two cents lower at 6.10 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat May down a half a cent at 566 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat May down a penny and a half cent at 616. The July contract down a penny and a half cent at 625 and a half cent. The livestock complex continues to exhibit strength. Strong demand and continued higher cash is keeping the path of least resistance. The bullish hogs and pigs report should continue to support the strong uptrend in futures. Looking at lean hog futures on the board of trade, the April contract trading a dollar 12 higher at 102. 280. The May contract up $2.12 at 101.95. For feeder cattle, the April contract up 35 at 144.57. May up 27 at 149.50. April live cattle trading 55 cents higher at 120.10. The June contract up 52 cents at 121.60. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 174 points, the NASDAQ composite up 57, the S&P 500 up 21. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, Corey Rosenbush. Corey, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Well, I want to take a look at your priorities that your industry has set for 2021. And I was especially thinking about all the, the push on climate programs and climate policies that's being proposed and debated. Um, how do you see your industry fitting into uh, this push that we're seeing right now? Mike, that's a fantastic question, and you're, you're correct. This is definitely priority area number one for the fertilizer industry, and, and we really attack it at two ends. On one end, we have the fertilizer manufacturers, and any type of energy or uh, climate change policy that we expect to see in Washington, D.C. has to respect the energy-intensive and trade-exposed nature of fertilizer manufacturing. So that, that will be very important for us to communicate to lawmakers. I, I will say, in the current Washington, D.C. climate, we aren't expecting to see a lot come off of Capitol Hill. Um, there's not a lot of legislation that we anticipate that we'll see moving, period, but especially in the climate change area. However, there's a lot of uh, push right now to tuck some of those climate-related policies into other uh, pieces of legislation, such as the infrastructure spending. Uh, I think what we will see, however, is the Biden administration will focus heavily on utilizing executive order and rulemaking to uh, achieve their climate uh, agenda, climate change agenda. We think we have a good story to tell on the fertilizer use store, use side uh, of the equation. Um, farmers are, are great stewards of the land. As you know, TFI has our 4R stewardship program that ensures that Fertilizer is used uh, right source in the right time, rate, and place. And so that, uh, that definitely is a message that has already resonated with this administration. And, of course, you've seen several of our larger members start to roll out their own carbon market programs. So uh, we want to be able to lead with some of the opportunities that we see to have an impact as agriculture and the fertilizer industry. And then hopefully that positions us to defend against any harmful policy that may come come from uh, Washington, D.C. We're talking with Corey Rosenbush, uh, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. Corey, you've talked about the uh, the concern over unintended consequences of policies. And certainly when you get into this issue, the area of greenhouse gas emissions that there's such a focus on, this certainly could impact the fertilizer industry. Yeah, no, no question. And again, let me start from the manufacturing side and say that um, we hope that policymakers will recognize the investment in technology that fertilizer manufacturers have put into uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So 29% of greenhouse gases produced by the industry uh, last year were captured and not emitted. And so we are, as an industry, really um, uh, doing everything that we can to capture, uh, capture CO2 in the production. And so what we don't want to see is a policy that would basically, uh, you know, offshore fertilizer production and actually, you know, have a double negative impact on both prices but also uh, in, for example, China, where they're still using coal uh, as part of their nitrogen manufacturing process. So that, that's, that's the, uh, that could be an unintended consequence of any kind of a cap-and-trade or 
uh, or carbon market or even um, greenhouse gas emission uh, targets. When we talk uh, fertilizer and all inputs for agriculture, a lot of it gets down to price and supply availability. And a lot of that has to do with infrastructure, which is something we're hearing a lot more about now, but maybe pushing an infrastructure bill. Uh, there's a lot in it that maybe that's not infrastructure related, but we know there are infrastructure needs when it comes to improvements. And then there's also the talk about how it's going to be paid for. That's going to be part of the debate as well. But there's no doubt that will impact your industry, right? And the, uh, the ability to... Uh, to transport and to deliver the product that is needed to farmers? Uh, absolutely. I, I actually was up uh, on Capitol Hill two weeks ago uh, talking to one of the members of Congress, members of Congress that was at the White House for the uh, infrastructure conversation that Biden hosted. And what, what they shared with me was um, a commitment that Biden recognized that a infrastructure bill has to be an infrastructure bill. It's probably the one glimmer of hope that that we have for some bipartisan legislation and and transforming it into a new green deal uh, policy uh, piece of legislation will not achieve our infrastructure objectives. And so I think that was made very clear. I think uh, what was also shared then was that it, it wasn't necessarily, there was cautious Cautious optimism um, coming out of the White House is really the the um, other side of the aisle uh, in the House that I think people are, are more concerned about. We desperately need investment in uh, infrastructure for American agriculture. Um, you know, it pay it plays a significant role not only on farmers being able to get their crops to market and exported, but also on getting crop inputs to the farm. Um, so, you know, when you, when you consider a third of all fertilizer moves via our uh, inland uh, waterway system, we have to invest. There's a huge backlog in those investments uh, to make sure that those river systems are, are functioning and available. Um, coincidentally, two-thirds of all ammonia moves by pipeline. And, and of course, we know that the administration has um, already targeted the Keystone Pipeline, um, and we just need to make sure that our energy infrastructure and pipeline systems uh, stay in place because it's, it's so critical to making sure that those nutrients get to the farm. Corey, do you feel that your industry um, is somewhat of a target? Do you feel that you have to play some defense here? because of all the scrutiny on inputs and and environmental concerns, water quality issues and things like that. I mean, you've got a story to tell. Do you feel, though, that uh, you have to defend yourself uh, in these times with the push on uh, climate issues? Well, there's no question there's a lot of pressure, um, and there's no question that we have to be ready to defend. I think our strategy, because we represent the entire fertilizer supply chain, is to try to present opportunities. And so maybe I'm seeing the glass half full, but uh, I do think there's a good story in terms of what farmers are doing to capture carbon and how farmers are using precision agriculture to ensure that um, you know fertilizer isn't being wasted or released into the environment or causing nitrous oxide uh, release. And so we want to make sure we're leading with that so that as we do become a target, um, per se, or we do enter the radar, we have, we have um, our story to tell. And 
And I think that's what I think that's what policymakers are looking for for solutions. And I think we have a, a few solutions that we've been working on for years now that uh, can be part of that equation. But look, no, make no make no mistake about it. Because we both have fertilizer manufacturing that's energy intensive, and we uh, have the use side, we are definitely um, uh, on the radar, so to speak. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. And finally, we've seen commodity prices coming up. We've also seen input costs and prices coming up. Uh, what do you see there? Well, Mike, you, you nailed it. And, and if you look back historically at uh, prices, and uh, because of uh, antitrust, I can't get into the details of prices, but I can say that you've, you've um, pointed, pointed to what is the strongest correlation, and that is that as crop uh, prices, and, and actually more specifically corn, um, goes up, so do input prices. That's uh, a historical trend we can trace back 40 years. And so with record, um, you know, corn and soybean prices uh, coming out of harvest last uh, fall uh, and, and staying strong, um, crop inputs, including fertilizers, will, will also, um, uh, you know, see, see that same pricing level. Uh, mainly because as farmers are more profitable, they're going to put more into inputs. And so it's a very classic supply-demand story. And um, as, uh, of course, supply – sorry, as demand increases, that um, that will affect, uh, affect prices uh, uh, long-term. Um, and it's also not unusual. I mean, I know that we're – you know, right in the middle of spring planning, and of course, this is the time when, when we always get a lot of questions and calls uh, about pricing and, and increase in input prices, and, and that's that's normal. That's uh, every year going right into the spring, we always see that, that uptick in, in those input costs. And real quick, what about supply? Any problems? Uh, we don't have a supply problem, no. I, I think uh, from a fertilizer manufacturing uh, standpoint, point the, the supply is there it is more of a supply chain logistic puzzle and so this is where we really encourage farmers to work with their ag retailers to do planning in advance to make sure that those tons uh, are in the right place in the right time as well so that um, you know mo moving um, moving fertilizer around the country uh, is a logistic logistics business and so there might be a situation uh, where perhaps a farmer can't get the product they need. It's not because the supply is not there. It's just because it, the, it wasn't positioned um, in a logistical planning manner uh, to be available at that right time. So, yeah, that's, always, uh, always that's that timing issue, and everybody, everybody seems like needs it, wants it at the same time often, and uh, that, that can cause some problems. All right, Corey, really good to talk with you. Thank you for the overview. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Corey Rosenbush, uh, the Fertilizer Institute President and CEO. Up next, we talk with Steve Meyer, Economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. 
No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. We want to get an update on Proposition 12 in California and the legal challenge to it. Joining us now is Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. And, and for those that aren't familiar or may have forgotten about Proposition 12, explain to us why a ballot initiative like that in, in California impacts producers across the country. Prop 12 is the latest of the series of ballot initiatives that we see in the animal rights groups. And what it does is it regulates how sows are raised and cared for. But more than that, it prohibits the sale of pork into California if it's not coming from a piglet that was born to a sow. Anyone who eats pork across the country is going to be impacted. Anyone who raises a pig in this country or, you know, or works in conjunction with the pork industry. And, and dare I say anyone in agriculture. Because for the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. 
When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We're still trying to uh, get a hold of Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. He's tied up at the moment, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get hold of Steve and get his thoughts on the Hogs and Pigs report and his outlook for the uh, for the hog market moving ahead. And also um, his thoughts on, you know, we talked to him a lot over the last year about what's going on in packing plants as far as their capacity and production and certainly have been hard hit, impacted by by COVID and the health of the workers in those packing plants. There are some proposals now to uh, put even more uh, COVID-related uh, um, measures into those plants, which could potentially slow down the production in those plants and the output of those plants. So we will see uh, how that plays out, but that could um, that could impact things moving forward. So we'll keep a close watch on that. Kind of a, a big debate going on in, in that area of whether you... Uh, it should be more focused on more safety precautions, like more distance between workers and things like that. Or should there be more of a push for uh, vaccination? So we'll see how that uh, debate plays out, too. But it could really have an impact uh, on the meat industry moving forward. Also, I uh, want to keep a close watch this week on what President Biden uh, talks about when it comes to uh, the infrastructure package. Another huge price tag on this one. Another multi-trillion dollar proposal there i talked about this last week uh, we know there's a need for infrastructure improvement there's even bipartisan support for infrastructure improvement but is it going to be a bill that contains a lot of other things that are really not infrastructure related and if so there's going to be opposition to that and concerns always about the price tag and already concerns about how that will be paid for and some proposals being floated out there about um, taxes on uh, uh, how many miles you drive and things like that. Uh, that gets controversial. You get into things like uh, the gas tax. Uh, do you raise that? So, you know, yeah, a need for infrastructure. But as I've said over and over about all these spending bills, at some point they have to be paid for. And how that is uh, decided on and what ways they choose to pay for them 
well, then it starts uh, really hitting home for a lot of people, and we'll see how all of that plays out. So that's key to watch moving forward. But uh, no doubt, if, if they would come up with a bill, I think, really targeted at roads, bridges, uh, dams, locks, broadband, if you really focused on those critical broad uh, infrastructure areas, there would be a lot of support for it. Maybe it wouldn't have to be quite as expensive as if they include all these other things in it, but it's still going to have uh, a pretty good price tag on it, and so we'll see what they come up with as far as ways to pay for it. The other thing I want to circle back to what we talked about with Sarah Wyant at the uh, beginning of the program from the AgriPulse Summit uh, last week, their uh, Ag and Food Policy Summit. Some interesting comments from Secretary Vilsack because we're all wanting to see with this push towards uh, reducing the carbon footprint and creating a carbon bank and perhaps carbon markets and perhaps revenue streams for farmers and giving them credit for practices they are doing. But there are concerns. Will farmers actually uh, see another revenue stream uh, come out of this or not? And Secretary Vilsack did kind of sound some warnings, raise some red flags saying it's not really there. The infrastructure is not there yet for agriculture to really benefit from this, take advantage of this. And he said, when talking about a carbon bank, he said, many people are taking a look at the existing carbon markets and asking themselves whether or not it will work for agriculture. Vilsack said, I think it's important to point out that today, this carbon market really is not designed and set up for farmers. I think that's a key statement by Secretary Vilsack, and uh, hopefully this will open some eyes and say, hey, there there is work to be done. He went on to say there's a lot of paperwork involved, there's a lot of complexity involved, the actual payments are not necessarily significant, not enough always to overcome the hassle that's connected with the carbon market. And haven't we seen this before? This is where it kind of broke broke down in years past. And a lot of great theories and ideas that were out there, but when it came down to the actual implementation, well, that's where it started falling apart. Uh, falling apart. And again, and um, Sarah referenced this earlier, Vilsack said, Look at the numbers. Out of about 134 million outstanding carbon credits, only about 2.5 million are agriculture-based. Out of 134 million carbon credits, only about 2.5 million are agriculture-based. Vilsack went on to say that however a potential new carbon market is established, it has to be set up in a way that speaks to farmers' needs and is really designed for farmers and about farmers. Uh, I think the those are important words, and I'm glad Secretary Vilsack is saying them. I hope people will heed them, those that are in position to create these markets and push these policies, and whether or not uh, they're going to be good for agriculture or not remains to be seen. But he is, he is sounding the alarm right now. Hey, we've got some work to do before this really is as good for agriculture as many are pointing out. There's a big difference between potential and actual practice and uh, getting uh, to the where you realize the full potential of something, that takes a lot of work. Secretary Vilsack said he wants to hear from farmers and ranchers, and um, 
I think he will hear a lot from them as the ag groups are already speaking out about this very important topic moving forward. There's no doubt we're going to talk more and more about carbon, carbon markets, carbon policy, carbon programs. So uh, if you, th you think we've talked a lot about it and you've already heard a lot about it so far, just wait. You're going to hear a lot more about it moving forward. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. We'll try to catch uh, Steve Meyer another time, perhaps maybe even tomorrow. And, of course, we also this week look ahead to the planning intentions report, the stocks numbers. A lot of attention will be coming up midweek with that report and uh, the good chance it could be a market mover one way or the other. We'll be keeping you up to date on that as well. Thanks for joining us. Always appreciate your time letting us be part of your day. Have a great day, a safe day, everyone. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.